0: Even when we're in God's will And see His face Rest in His embrace Tell Him that you trust Him When you talk to Him today Even when we're in God's will We still must pray Even while we hold His hand Show the perfect way, even when we're in God's will, we still have to pray. Even when we're in God's will, we still have to pray. what do you say I spoke of your honor I have no defense but that's where Mercy you walk deep.
1: Graduated and went to the hills of Kentucky and he's still there. He has ministered there for years, done a great job with camps, dealing with drug addicts, pastoring a church, many things. We thank the Lord for him. When I think of him, I think of the word faithful. Faithful. He's faithful. He's a faithful man. Mark, come and bring us a word, and then we'll have dinner.
2: Nothing like being the last preacher before food, huh? Thank the Lord for this place. I pray as the time gets closer that nothing happens to keep me from coming here. Glad that the Lord worked out opportunities for other people to fill in for me, at different things that we got going on. Appreciate my wife uh, helping out this morning so I could be here. And later on this week, Thank the Lord for his blessings on us, and it is hard to believe how fast time flies by. 1987 is when we left here to go to the mountains. And God's been faithful those starting our 31st year. We've been at two different places. We still have contact with the folks at the other church. We were there for 11 years before God moved us to the next county over we just started our 20th year there in January. God keeps changing our ministry, and the church is, of course, the main focus. But we've also now added to our other ministries a homeless ministry. In, in Lee County, we, we had as many at one time this summer, 75 people living under bridges living in empty houses where there were some houses that they actually tore down so the homeless wouldn't live in them. We have a homeless shelter in the next county over that offers to give them a ride and a warm place to stay, and most of them refuse it because that means they've got to give up their lifestyle. A couple of weeks ago, down in Lexington, about an hour and a half from us, we, had, we, we heard of a lady who froze to death. 62 years old, froze to death in that cold weather a couple weeks ago. Less than a few miles from a warm bed in a shelter that she wouldn't go to because she wouldn't stop drinking. And she froze to death. It's a very difficult ministry, but the one I feel the Lord has laid on our heart and the heart of our community. We do a homeless dinner one Thursday of the month. We take a a turn. Our church goes and prepares a meal. And sometimes you go to the, the place where they're living, and they won't even come to the door to get the food. We have a warming shelter that volunteers have volunteered to sit in at night, and they can have a place to come and sleep and be warm. There's been very few that have taken advantage of that of course, the next thing you hear from people who are in certain positions, well, how much is it costing us to keep that open? Is it worth it? And the thought that was mentioned at one of our meetings we had concerning the homeless in our area was this this thought. One lady said, how can you help people that don't want help? And when you think about it, except for our church folks for the most part, that pretty much sums up ministry. Because we are preaching the gospel many times to lost people who don't really want to hear it at the time. We're reaching out to addicts who really don't want to stop using, but they have to be in my meeting. They're required to be there, so they have to listen. And we're trying to reach out to homeless people who really don't want the help because that means I've got to change what I'm doing. And we think about that, we think about, okay, what's God doing? And the Lord laid on my heart as we started our 20th year at our church. I always try to have a theme for the year. I learned that here. And the theme for this year is every Christian needs a ministry. Every Christian needs a ministry. When I say that, I get some looks sometimes from my people. And when I mention some of the ministries that we're involved in, I get some looks. But then I also say, you know what? You don't have to go down to the homeless shelter with us. You don't have to go to the jail with us. But you can find the ministry that God has for you. I know none of you know... Mr. and Mrs. Earl Jury, when we came to Marietta Bible College, Mr. and Mrs. Jury were our teachers. And they often told stories about people in the mountains of Kentucky and Camp Lewis and things like that. I never knew when I heard those stories that I'd be down there in that same area myself later on. And then Pastor Jerry and his wife left here, went to Boston, came back to Breathitt County, which is where we used to be, where they had their ministry many years ago to live on their daughter's property in a mobile home. And he was a camp director at Camp Lewis, a camp that I work at every summer. And he and his wife would come out at least one day every week of camp and share stories of what God did in their lives while they were at camp. But one thing they they let us know and reminded us of, they got up every morning, they had their breakfast, then they got out their prayer list. They couldn't get around much anymore, he couldn't pastor anymore, but every morning they got out their prayer list and prayed for three hours. I'm so thankful I was on that list. This place was on that list. They pray for this ministry every day. And two weeks ago, I went to Mrs. Jury's funeral. Mr. Jury walks around with a cane. He's 90. I went and put my arms around him and, and talked to him in just a minute. And he said, you know what? I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. I say that to say this. They found a way for God to give them a ministry. What's your ministry? What's God laying on your heart to do? And then we think about sometimes these situations of ministry that God gives us that seem impossible. That's what I want to talk about this morning from Ezekiel 37. If I would title this message, Nothing is Impossible with God. When my oldest daughter was little, she used to tell people, I don't like it when dad gives titles to his messages because that means they're going to be longer if they have a title. You know me, my messages are never very long. Nothing is impossible with God. Ezekiel already knew what it was to minister to a difficult group of people in exile. And as a way of introduction, before we go to 37, go over to 33 just for a minute of Ezekiel. And notice what it says beginning in verse 30 about how the the, the audience that Ezekiel had. God tells him what the audience is that he has. He says in verse 30 of 33, Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. Sounds good so far. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their heart goeth after their covetousness. Lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well with an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when it's cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. God says, you're drawing a crowd, Ezekiel. And they're listening but they're not doing it. They're hearing it, but it's not changing their lives. The message is being given. You're being faithful. You're being the prophet of God you're supposed to be, but they're not doing anything about it. He says, someday when judgment comes, they'll know that a prophet's been among them. So God has already let Ezekiel know what an impossible situation he was in. And as, As a pastor and you pastors that are here this morning understand, When you think of all that Apostle Paul went through, the persecutions, the beatings, the imprisonments, he said the biggest burden that he had was the care of the churches. And when you first think about that, you think, how can that be so? But then when you share the gospel with people week after week, and some of them don't seem to ever change, they go out and shake your hand and say, good message, and You never really see it come to fruition in their lives. Sometimes we think, are we wasting our time? So Ezekiel already had a difficult situation, a difficult ministry. In chapter 37, verse 1, it says, "...the hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley which is full of bones." And caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Lord, we know you're the God of the impossible. We all face impossible people sometimes and impossible situations of life. But you're still God. You're still on the throne. And you still hear and answer prayer. My name we pray. Amen. We see the first thing we, we see here in this passage is the impossible. We all pray every day. And there are things that we pray for every day. There are situations we pray for every day. But what impossible situation have you seen in your life that drives you to your knees? Sometimes we see people. Maybe we'll witness to them. Maybe we'll show love to them. Maybe we'll t- to share a meal with them like we do with our homeless folks. Sometimes I pray with them. I had a young man just the other day. This is the second time he's done this. I do drug testing. That's how I get to know him and have a ministry among them. He came to testing. Before I even checked his test, he said, pray for me. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. And it's the second time he's done that. And he seems so sincere when he says, I know I need to stop this. I know I need to change. I know I need to get these people out of my life. But he keeps going back. I pray for him. I care about him. But he needs a change. Sometimes you look at people and think, okay, they're never going to get it. They're never going to get it. There's a young man. I ran into him a few years ago. His sister was one of our participants. She did great. She only had one little mess up the whole time she was in drug court. And she and her family are together. They're doing great, getting ready to have their first grandchild. They're working. Every time they see us, they're excited to see us. That's not always the case of some of them. Some of them walked the other way. Her brother was struggling. She tried to talk to him, and of course he brought up her own situation to her. So I, we got out to this little picnic area up on the mountain, and I started talking to him. And he didn't have a place to live, didn't have a place to stay. So my daughter said, Dad, it's Make a Difference Monday. I want to I put him up in a motel said, okay, it's your money. So we put him up in a motel for one night. Then later on, he said he had a job. So we took him to the next little town up Berea, not too far from us, about, about an hour or so away. Put him up in a motel for three nights. He got started working. I was thinking, you know, he's, it's going to be hard for him. Now he is working in a, facility in Branson, Missouri with young boys of, who have addictions doing the same thing we did for him. God changed his life. He an impossible situation. God changed him. What impossible situation is on your heart this morning? It may be medical. It may be financial. It may be like on my heart, my brother who's not saved. It may be spiritual. Ezekiel's looking out over that army of dead bones lying there, no life in them. And God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel doesn't say no. He said, God, you know. You know. When God lays something or someone on our hearts to pray about or to witness to or try to make a difference in their lives... Don't already say no, nothing's going to happen. Don't already say, well, what's the use? Put it in God's hands. He's a God of the impossible. When I came here to Bible college, my dad was not a Christian, he wouldn't even go to church the first night I preached. He wouldn't go hear me. I met him in the kitchen the next morning. He was weeping. He said, I should have been there. I'm sorry. I didn't come. And then God opened the door with my brun- Uncle Chuck here sitting here. He brought me up here. I knew this is where God wanted me to go. God opened the door for me to come here to Bible College. And I packed up my stuff. And I was getting ready to leave. And my dad was out working in the field. I remember just like it was... Yesterday, he walked up to the side of my truck and leaned in. He started crying. He said, pray for me. first time my dad had ever asked me to pray for him. We didn't know it at the time, but he had cancer. Started as a place on his ear and kept getting worse and worse and worse. When I came here, I started asking the guys in that dorm over there to pray for him. They called his name in prayer almost every night. An impossible situation, because my dad would not go to church. A preacher once had come back halfway to the church when he was there and tried to drag him up forward, and that was it. He wouldn't go anymore. We bought him Bibles. We talked to him. We had invited him, but we prayed. And I still have the letter, one of my most valuable possessions. My dad was dying of cancer. He couldn't do anything. Couldn't work anymore. He would walk out on the hill of our farm and sit on the side of the hill. He loved to hunt, so he'd get his turkey call out and just call turkeys, just to have something to do to get out of the house. One morning while he was out there in the woods, he asked Christ to save him. And I still got the letter that my mom wrote me. It says, our prayers have been answered. God is a God of the impossible. There's so many things in life we give up on. So many people in life we give up on. But what if somebody had given up on you? What if you got written off somebody's list? You weren't worthy of being witnessed to. You weren't worthy of talking to. That you would never, ever change. God is a God of the impossible. So his first thing we see is the impossible. And Ezekiel simply says, God, you know. And we have to remember that God knows we don't. And we just need to be faithful to do what he has told us to do. Verse 4. Again he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Not only do we see the impossible, we see the improbable. The improbable. Ezekiel must have been thinking, Lord, I've already preached to your people who won't Listen. You already let me know that they're pretending to listen, but they're not. Their lives are not changing. I'm already sharing your word. But he doesn't do that. Because the God of the impossible is also the God of the improbable. And when he gives us a message to share, there's a reason behind it. There's a reason why God gives us a message. There's a man in my church now, every Sunday morning. He's in his late 70s. His daughter and son-in-law are faithful members of my church. His wife, who passed away a few years ago, was a preacher's daughter and Christian. He wouldn't even go to church with his wife. After his wife passed away, he started coming to church. His daughter and son-in-law moved to a different part of the church so he could be more comfortable sitting on off to the side, not right in the middle where they sat. For almost a year, I preached, and I think, surely, surely today he's going to come. Surely today. And he kept walking out. One day I went to his house, and I started talking to him. He said, well, this is all new to me. I have to study something for a while before I know if it's something I want or not. That went on for a year. Then I heard through a friend of his that he'd been thinking about some things. And I thought, well, I'll, go. I'll just go talk to him. So as soon as I walked in the house, he said, I know why you're here. I said, okay, tell me why I'm here. He said, you don't know how many times when you preach God's word, that I had to hold on to the back of the seat to keep from coming forward. I'm ready. And he was. I had the privilege of baptizing him, and he's in church every Sunday. It seemed like an impossible situation. It seemed like it was improbable for me to keep preaching and him not respond. But God was dealing with his heart. I didn't know it. Because my job is to preach the gospel. God is the one who changes them. So we see the improbable. And in the midst of the improbable, we see the obedience of Ezekiel to do exactly what God told him to do. It didn't matter how far-fetched it was. It didn't matter how impossible it seemed or improbable it sounded. It didn't matter because God said to do it. So I prophesied, verse 7, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to bone. When I beheld, lo, the sinners and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, and, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. The impossible, the improbable, now the incredible. We see God do the incredible. It's incredible to see God change a person from death unto life. Amen. You see someone who didn't care at all about the things of God be faithful and be in his house. My wife and another lady and my daughter will be at the jail tonight. They're there every Monday night, Lord willing. They came back one Monday night and said, there's a young girl at the jail. We wanted to talk to her, but we didn't have time. They had to take them back to their cells and we were running out of time. And they gave me her name. I said, Can you go talk to her? I'm the chaplain, so I can go get out just about anybody I want to talk to. So I go, and the next day, this lady comes down the hallway when they call her name, and she doesn't know who's calling her out or why. She comes shaking. She's like this. She's scared to death. She doesn't know what's happening. And she sees me, comes in, sits down. I said, you know, my wife told me you are thinking about getting saved. She said... Yes, I am, but I don't know how. I don't know how. And so we can take care of that right now. And I said, you, wherever you feel comfortable, you tell me. You need to understand things better, you tell me. And I went through the plan of salvation with her. And she asked Christ to save her. The next Thursday was my turn to go to the jail for my services. I had a Bible for her. I was going to leave it with them. I walk in and I'm signing in like I always do and I hear them call her name. I said, wait a minute, I got a Bible for her. They said, well, she's getting ready to go home. So I had a Bible with her name in it. I was able to hand it to her and give her a hug as she went out the door to go home. That's incredible. God's timing is amazing. There's so many people that cross our path. It's so easy to think they'll never change. We're wasting our time. There's no way we're ever going to make a difference. And what I've seen is this. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. And just give them what God tells you to give them. Do what God says to do. And we may never know the results till we get to heaven.
0: All right.
2: And then God's not done with Ezekiel yet. Verse eleven. Then he said unto me, Son of Man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy saying say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place in you your own land, and shall know that the Lord, I the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, it saith the Lord. What God wanted Ezekiel to know was this message was intentional. There was a purpose behind it. There was a reason why he took him out there to those dry bones. Because in Ezekiel's mind, he was preaching to a bunch of dead bones already. People, that didn't want to hear what he had to say. And how quickly is it to get discouraged in a situation like that? How easy is it for us to just say, what's the use? He didn't do that. God said, here's the reason why I showed you this. Because you think you're in an impossible situation with an impossible bunch of people. And I have intentions for them. I have plans for them. I have a message for them. And I want you to deliver it. And the key to it all, and one of the keys, I think, to ministry for all of us is it's not that they know us. But verse 13 says, And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I've opened your graves and brought you out of your grave. Whenever David went out to fight Goliath, it wasn't so later on that they could sing, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul has killed his thousands. He said to Goliath, I come out to you that all the world may know who the true God is. And when we do what we do and we we are obedient to what God has for us and we take advantage of the opportunities that God has to cross our path, And that's what they are, opportunities to minister, opportunities to show them who God is. You ever look at people sometimes and shake your head and say, well, why me? They'll never change. They'll never do any different. They won't listen. On and on we can go. But we need to look at them as opportunities. Opportunities us to show them who God is. See, those folks sleeping under bridges and things like that may not think anybody in our community cares. They move around so much you can't hardly really find them sometimes because people harass them and they're worried about getting arrested and all kinds of things like that. Sometimes it's hard to find them. But they'll know when we take them a bowl of soup, God loves them. Somebody cares about it. Sometimes I'm standing there in the jail, especially in the past, whenever they used to let me have a crowd at a time, now they just let me have one cell at a time. Someone would be talking, they'd be trading stuff around like they do. They may not listen to everything I say, but they know God loves them. They might hear me say that every time. God has a plan for your life and God loves you. And they might look at me with eyes that say, really, you think that? And I say, yeah, because the cross proves it. The cross proves it. What's your impossible situation? Who's God laying in your heart every day that drives you to your knees? What situation are you facing It seems so difficult? You think there's no hope, there's no answer. There's been many times in our ministry where I know God says he'll move mountains. And I'll say, God, this is a big one. Or either get me over it, move it out of the way, or show me a way around it. Because I can't do it on my own. Many times we, faced, we are faced with impossible situations, sometimes impossible people. But God is a God of the improbable. And God can do the incredible. And the calling on your life for the people God's laid on your heart, whether it's here or another country that God has laid on your heart to minister to, it's intentional. Because God has plans for you yeah. to take the message to those that need to hear it. Yeah. That's why this conference is so very, very important. This is where I learned to pray. When I came here, I didn't know anything. I learned to pray. And if you don't learn to pray here, how are you going to pray when you get out there when you're all alone and it's hard and you're faced with those impossible situations? Students relish this time. Take advantage of it. It's a highlight of my year to be here because I need it. And remember, when you get out there and you face a difficult time, you think nobody's listening and I'm wasting my time. Remember, God put you there with a purpose, with a message, and he can do the impossible. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. Oh, God, we don't deserve your mercy. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Mark Coburn. Well, we've heard three good messages this morning. Amen. Good start to the conference. Thank you, Mark. God bless you. Thank you for coming. He got up at four o'clock and came. Did you leave at four? Okay. Now, a few announcements. Please listen. Tomorrow, or tonight, Chuck Harrell and Dan Lamb will preach. Looking forward to that. Tomorrow morning, Dan Lamb and Chuck Carroll will bring their second message. Then at 11 o'clock on Tuesday, Fred Adams will speak. He's never been here. He is deaf, but he will not preach in sign language. He has learned some way, I don't know how, to speak in tonal language. It won't sound like us, but he's a tremendous preacher. He has a goal to start a deaf church, church for deaf people in every state in the union. He has so far started 10 churches in 10 different states. He'll be here tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock to preach and to tell us about his work. Looking forward to hearing him. That's tomorrow. All right? Uh, We're going to go over and eat. We want you to know that you are welcome. Pastors, pastor wives, preachers, and visitors go first go over to that chapel and bear left when you go through the front door go down along the wall and there you'll come to the food the two tables in the distance are usually for preachers but you can sit wherever you want to but usually the preachers gather around the table nearest the pulpit and visit and fellowship and gossip Uh, So that's, you go over, and we want you to enjoy it. What are we having? Do you know Armstrong? You don't know. Does anybody know? It's a secret what we're having today. It may be a great surprise, but uh, you're welcome to come, and we're gonna go over that way now. We're gonna have prayer here because If we waited for everybody to get over there, it'd be a long wait before anybody ate. So we will have prayer here and uh, thank the Lord for the food. Then go over and you can eat. Brother Gibson, would you come up and pray? He's pastor of Bartlett Bible Church where Jack Berry was. And he's doing a good job. And he's from Gilbert, West Virginia, and we're glad you're up this way, and we hear you're doing a great job, Brother Gibson. You pray for the food. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, this has been a good morning. We thank you, Lord, so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that you buried down in the deeps of our souls. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be a people of prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this conference. We thank you, Lord, for the hands that took time to prepare a meal. We pray you'd bless it to our bodies. We indeed thank you for it. I pray that you bless the rest of our day. In Christ's name we pray.